Are you looking for a new job? Are you hiring but struggling to find diverse, talented candidates? Then we have something that can help, our job board. Head on over to revisionpath.com forward slash jobs to browse listings or to place your own. This week on the job board, 23andMe is looking for a head of design in Sunnyvale, California. Carbon5 is looking for a mid to senior level product designer in Santa Monica, California. And Athena Health is looking for a senior product designer in Austin, Texas. If you're looking for remote work, check out these listings. The Wikimedia Foundation is looking for a senior visual UX designer. Open is looking for a chief technology officer. And Uber is looking for a product designer for the Uber Freight team. Companies, stop making excuses on your DNI efforts and post your job listings with us. For just $99, your listing will be on our job board for 30 days, and we'll help spread the word for you about your job to our diverse audience of listeners. Make sure to head over to revisionpath.com forward slash jobs for more information on these listings. Apply today and tell them you heard about the job through Revision Path. Get started with us and expand your job search today. Revisionpath.com forward slash jobs. You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Revision Path. Thank you again so much for tuning in this week. I'm your host, Maurice Cherry. And before we get into this week's interview, I want to talk about our sponsor for this episode, Facebook Design. To learn more about how the Facebook design community is designing for human needs at unprecedented scale, please visit facebook.design. Now let's get into this week's interview. I'm talking with Tolu Ajayi, an educator and product designer in Dallas, Texas, and the founder of UI Narrative. Let's start the show. All right, so tell us who you are and what you do. Hi, guys. I'm Tolu Ajayi, a product designer and educator. Currently, I work as a UX designer at NotDev, which is a small design studio in Dallas, Texas. We basically work with startups to large corporations providing UI, UX, and product strategy services. And I'm also the founder of UI Narrative, which is an educational organization and podcast for product design. Nice. Always glad to talk to a fellow Black design podcaster. I think, I don't know, there's probably only a handful of us out there. So. Right, right. This is my first time. <laughs> so one thing that I've kind of been, you know, just kind of asking everyone during this current time is how have you been holding up during this pandemic? So before the pandemic, I was working full time freelance. So I was already familiar with, you know, working from home remotely and how that goes. I feel like one of the biggest things with the pandemic is just not having that outlet of being able to go out to like a cafe for lunch to work or meeting up with friends. Like, cause I have, you know, friends that work full times at in offices. So I would like sometimes, you know, meet up with them for lunch somewhere. So I really miss that social aspect of being able to just catch up with them during the day, talk about, you know, projects we're working on. So now I have to do all of that, you know, through Zoom and Skype. Um, <laughs> but it's been okay. And 
too, like right before the pandemic hit, like in March, I had just started full time with Not Dev, working remotely as a UX designer there. So it was a, the right moment getting that job because it was just more uh, job security and less work on my part freelancing wise. But it's been surprisingly okay. I just miss the social connections with people other than <laughs> phone conversations and Zoom chats. Yeah, I don't know kind of what stage Texas is in right now. I'm in Georgia, and I think here in Atlanta, we kind of just rolled back to phase one, which, you know, we were in phase two where we had some businesses and things open. But now the cases are kind of on the rise nationwide. It feels like we're regressing back to what it was back in like March and April in terms of, you know, lockdowns, which sucks because, Mm -hmm. I mean, we're in the summer right now. That's one thing, but also... After this, we'll be going into the holiday season, and that's all about fellowship and socializing. And I hope that we can get this under control by then. Yeah. But I don't know. It's going to be tough. I feel like there might be another another big wave come the holidays just because people won't social distance. But we'll see. Yeah, definitely in Texas. I don't know what it is about Texans over here. They're just really stubborn with not wanting to wear masks. Like, you can go to anywhere. <laughs> And you'll see people, like a large amount of people that aren't wearing masks. And it's frustrating because, you know, like there's going to be another wave soon because of those people that aren't doing it. So our state's just going to have to learn the hard way, which sucks. But I'm just going to stay indoors like I was already doing before the pandemic. I almost feel like it's an interesting, and this may be me, I don't know, maybe abstracting what's happening in the news too much. But it almost feels like a very interesting design problem like how do you get a populace of people that are so fiercely independent to do something like this that is for the greater good that sort of has to make you absolve your own feelings of doing for yourself but instead looking out for other people like it it almost feels like a design challenge like how do you get people to wear the masks Uh, because apparently the statistics don't work Mm -hmm. (laughs) i don't know what it's gonna have to take to make mask wearing something that everyone just decides to do because so many people are just so steadfastly against it. Right. And I feel like it's not until someone in their immediate circle gets it or them themselves get COVID that they see the realization of, oh, this is actually serious. Like I should be social distancing, putting on a mask because someone who means something to me is on, you know, the verge of death because of this. And it just sucks that they have to face that reality uh, up front in order for it to click in their head of like, you got a social distance, put your mask on. Right. And really, you have to kind of do both. Because what I've been seeing is that people are just out and about in crowds, but they're wearing masks. But like, the mask doesn't like negate the social distancing. You kind of have to Mm -hmm. do both. Because if you're still in a big crowd of people, and everyone's wearing masks, I'm not saying that that's as bad, but it's pretty bad. Mm -hmm. Because you're still in close proximity with folks. And It can get in your hair or on your clothes, or if you do the thing where you put your mask under your neck and then put it back up over your mouth, then now you've introduced it because it might be on your neck. Like it's a whole, it's a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah. So you mentioned kind of just starting this new gig right at the, the start of this pandemic. What's been like a typical day? Has not dev been really open to remote work? So it's funny, like at the beginning when I was being like pitched a job and let me just tell a little story about like how I heard about not dev. So I would, I used to post a lot of stuff on dribble.com. I'm not sure if y'all are familiar with that, 
But basically, it's a platform where you can post and share your design work that you've created. And this guy, Dev Gupta, he had found my work on there. He had emailed me. He had saw my portfolio that I had did a project with Rumored in Dallas. And that's one of his close friends. So he had talked to that friend asking like how it was working with me. So it was like a really small world of being introduced to him through Dribble and that friend connection. But as far as like my day to day, let's see, I usually start my morning at 10 o'clock. We have our stand up meetings where we go over goals for the day and talk about like any work we completed during the previous afternoon. And during the day, it's basically me checking emails, reading Slack messages, and I'm neck deep in design file work. So with my job, it's like 70% UI and 30% UX. So most of the day I'm pushing pixels and creating prototypes and Envision and using Slack. I mean, and using Sketch. But as far as like one of the biggest projects I'm on currently, I'm working on this website for Toyota dealers, helping them with a product that will add new features to the scheduling and delivery services. Oh, nice. So it sounds like because you're using these remote tools, it probably just makes collaborating with the team pretty easy too. Yeah, it has been pretty easy to collaborate. Actually, I'm starting to like Figma more than I thought I ever would just Uh because it's much easier to... If I'm going to be collaborating on a design with someone, we can work on it at the same time and see what the other person is doing and steal from each other quickly. Compared to in Sketch, it's more of like you save it and then you have to open it. So yeah, definitely tools like that. And Miro too, which I love to use for wireframing and just any type of like ideation when we're starting off our user research. How did you first sort of get involved with doing this kind of design? Because as I looked at your you know, LinkedIn and saw some of the past positions that you were in, it sort of seemed like you made this shift from graphic design, like earlier on in your career to UI UX. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So I started out with a bachelor's degree in visual communication at UTA Arlington. And then I went on to do like two internships as a graphic designer. Then I did two more jobs as a graphic designer before I moved into like graphic UI designer role at PDI. And that role involved me doing a lot of coding websites and graphic design. But this was when I had started to get more interested in UI design because I wanted to have more education on why websites are set up a certain way. And a friend of mine, Jeremy Gaston, hey, hey, he told me about UX design and how that might be my jam. So I had took an online course on General Assembly and learned more in depth about like UX foundation and product design. And I was able to show that to my boss. And once I showed them I completed that course online, I was able to get a promotion to Hmm. UI UX designer for mobile applications at PDI. So from there, it was like when it really kicked off for me, just continuing to educate myself on interaction design. That's when I realized I wanted to do more than like create digital products. So, and it's also too at the point where I decided like I didn't want to work for big corporations anymore because 
I just didn't really have as much say in how the UX and even the UI outcome would be for the projects. So that's when I started to start working for small startups as a freelancer. And then like fast forward to now, I'm here at Not Dev and I'm still working at a big corporation like Toyota. But now I have like more input and my voice is valued a little bit more. Let's talk a little bit about this sort of rise that I've seen over the past few years in UI UX designers. You mentioned taking a course at General Assembly, and that really helped you kind of shift gears a bit. It seems like that's a popular thing that a lot of designers are doing right now is making the shift from maybe a more discrete graphic or web design and shifting into like UI UX slash product. Why do you think that is? Yeah, so I think a lot of people are starting to realize that they have dabbled in a little bit of UX design themselves. So some people like they might get into the career because they'll like, you know, Google the amount of money that you make. But I feel like when you spend your time looking into like books, websites, clubs, et cetera, and seeing how passionate people are about like creating these experiences based off of patterns they've seen in in other products, or they've gone and tested it with a certain group of people and realized like, oh, we can make changes to this based off of what this person said. Like that interest of having such like, I guess, power in a way to create this product and not necessarily need to know coding to do that. Like Mm -hmm. you have such a strong input into how this product is going to look, what people are going to do as they're interacting with it, you know? So I think it's all about like that, that power of being able to say like, oh, I created this product, you know, that's in your hand. Yeah. Now with that sort of shift into a lot of the kind of UI UX, it sounds like there's a lot more I'm thinking of what uh, Laverne Cox calls it possibility models. Like you can see a lot more people really using this actively. And it's interesting that the barrier, well, I wouldn't really call it a barrier, but you mentioned no coding. Like it sounds like something designers could easily sort of shift into without there having to be a steep learning curve. Yes, most definitely. You could specialize. There's so many areas within like UX design and just product design in general, like You could specialize, you know, in UI design or UX or interaction design, UX writing, but there's so many areas within it to where no matter what your interests are, there's a room for you, basically. As long as you're super into problem solving, then it's like, why not get into it if if you see yourself fitting within that picture? Mm -hmm. That makes sense. I just know that we've had a lot more of them on the show probably within the past goodness, maybe the past five years. And mostly it's been tied to General Assembly, just in terms of them like taking a course somewhere. But it seems like product designer slash UI UX designer is the new web designer in a way. Like I rarely see listings now that say they're looking for a web designer. People are Mm -hmm. always looking for a product designer. They're always looking for a UI UX designer at companies. So it's a, a position that's in high demand. Yeah, definitely in high demand. And I think one of the biggest reasons it's in high demand is because companies are starting to realize that they cannot afford losing revenue based off of not getting that early on user research. Like why go out, put out a product based off of guesses 
when you can talk to a few people, get their feedback on how this product feels, if it's making sense, make some changes early on, and then put out a product that, you know, you're confident that people will want to buy it and interact with it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I want to kind of switch gears here a little bit. Uh, you're in Texas. You mentioned you're kind of right outside of of Dallas and Irving. Is that where you grew up also? Yes. So I grew up actually in Waco, Texas. People call it Waco, Texas, because ain't nothing down there. But (laughs) (laughs) I grew up there, moved to Arlington, Texas, Um, lived there for most of my life, then Grand Prairie. And that's when I had branched out to living on my own, going to Addison, Texas. And then now I'm in Irving. So I've been basically like all over DFW in a way, as far as like working and moving around. When you think back to those kind of early days, were you kind of exposed to design a lot during that time? Man, so one of the earliest experiences I've had with design is in art classes that I would have. And I don't know if y'all remember this, but back in the day, there was like, you know, the book fairs where you would Mm. go and you get money from your mom or dad and go and get whatever book you want. For me, like when I would get that spare change, I would go look for like coloring books, art supplies, things like that. And my mom would get so mad. She's like, I gave you this money to get books and all you want to do is color. But that was like (laughs) one of the like earliest memories I have as far as just being so interested with like, I can color on this page. I can create something from my mind. Like books, you know, you go on this journey and they're kind of like guiding you on like how to think about something. But I just really like the open freeness that comes with art. And I feel like I've just always had that in me is knowing like I wanted to do something related to that creative freedom. But it's just funny, like not knowing that I would have ended up here from where I was like when I was in elementary school. When did you sort of know that this was something you could do for a living? Ooh, I didn't know until my senior year of high school. So I went through this phase of thinking that I wanted to get into like criminal justice and be like a CSI investigator because I had taken this class in high school where I thought it was super cool being able to gather all that data. So I guess some of it was there, being able to gather all the data that you have from uh, crime scenes and putting together the clues to solve the crime. But I also realized too, with that job, you wake up at wee hours of the night, like 2 a.m. And I'm like, nope, I sleep in. That's not going to work for me. (laughs) And it's like, that was what like cut the line for me. And I was like, what else am I interested in? It's like, oh yeah, art. So I was taking like a lot of art classes too as well in high school, but that's like senior year is when I realized like I can be a graphic designer because they have these like competitions where you can create art and then have like a state competitions. And I would submit art to those, but through those competitions, I was exposed to like all the different types of art people would do. And I saw people doing graphic design stuff, like animation and et cetera. And I was like, wow, like there's so much more than just like, you know, coloring and painting things. So that's like, I guess, like the key point of when I had got introduced into graphic design, which led me to where I am now. Was your family pretty supportive of you kind of going into that role? They were worried. I'm typical (laughs) African parents, you know, get your STEM degree. 
But I kept telling him like, oh, you know, like creative directors make this much money. That's what I kept telling him. Like (laughs) I could be a creative director one day and make like six figures or something. They're like, oh, okay, okay, that's good. It was a matter of convincing them that I can move up the ladder to to get like a higher paying salary within the art um, industry. Nice. Now you went to the University of Texas at Arlington. Did you study design there also? Yeah, I studied visual communication. Visual communications. What was your time like there? Do you feel like it really kind of prepared you for going into this line of work? Man, so I'm 50-50 with that. Like, I feel like the earlier years, like freshman, sophomore years were more of a like history dive in. So it's kind of like, well, I could have learned this on my own if you would have just gave me a list of all this stuff to read through. But then it's like not until junior and senior year where I got more challenges with the projects that we were given. So I feel like it was beneficial in that way because it got me thinking about the solutions of how I come up with ideas. But also at the same time, I feel like, man, where I am now as a you know product designer, well, back then, you know, they didn't have this education online. And I'm talking about like 2014. So they didn't have education online as they do today. Mm -hmm. So it was beneficial back then. But if I were in today, I would just go online and get my education. Like, save that money if you're trying to be a product designer, UI designer, UX designer, because the resources are, are there, you know? And I would say even now with this pandemic, like, everything is online. I know some schools are trying to push things open, but a lot of these design and other kind of similar tech slash vocational programs are online now. Right. So it sort of makes it, you know, a lot easier at least to access. Yeah, it is super easy. Now I want to hear about this podcast. I want to hear about UI narrative. What made you decide to start your own show? Yes. Yeah, so just like UI narrative in general, like I want to share like with everyone I meet about the possibility of them being a product designer, meaning, you know, UI, UX, IXD or writing, because like, let's face it, most people are like, what? When you tell them like the detailed version of what you do for a living as a product designer. So then you end up like simplifying it and just saying like, I make apps and websites. So I feel like the key way to get people understanding that this career is right for them is being able to relate to their personal experiences and like product design can and how product design can improve those experiences. So I'll give like an example. Let's say you want to buy a new phone, right? And you want advice on what's the best phone out there for you. So you might send like a group text out to your friends asking for the recommendations of pros and cons for that phone. And then you might watch some like YouTube videos and read some articles for like what type of phone is best. And then you have all of this information you've gathered about this product that you want to buy, right? So this is user research at the core, like using secondary research for what you find online and doing like user interviews through, you know, the text with friends on their experiences using those devices. So you can decide on like which phone is best for the persona, which is basically you. So like now when you frame it like that, it's like, whoa, I could be a user researcher, you know, if I enjoy that process of collecting 
all this data. So like helping people make that connection is a part of like why the reason I got into this podcast and just helping people realize like, you know, this is an opportunity for them. And also like one of the key reasons I started UI Narrative is to inspire Black people to get into this field and also to provide down the line affordable online learning to help them achieve like any dreams that they have. Because in almost all cases, I'm the only female Black woman in the room and I'm just tired of that narrative, Maurice. <laughs> mm, I hear you. Well, I mean, not about being the only Black woman in the room, but certainly yeah. <laughs> about about yeah. being, you know, like the only Black person in a room sometimes, exactly. especially going to like design events and such. So how has the podcast been going? Have you been keeping it up? Yeah, it's been great. Like I've had bumps <laughs> down the road getting up to speed, but now like I've been more consistent with episodes, uh, launching them bi-weekly and hoping that I can soon go to weekly episodes. I'm in the process of getting content ahead for that, but it's been super great. Um, I've had a lot of super interesting conversations with people. I've learned a lot. I've known people have learned a lot about all the different levels of UX, UI design. So yeah, it's just been like a super amazing experience just learning from others and sharing my story too, like as I'm developing. Yeah. One of the interesting things with doing Revision Path that I'll tell people is, I mean, one, there's sort of the benefit of being able to talk to so many other designers and just soak up that knowledge. But eventually, like it does kind of end up becoming like your own little professional network because you're talking mm -hmm. to them you sought them out and so you now kind of at least for me at least and it's probably going to be the same way for you like you end up having this brain trust of people that you can fall back on because they know they see what you're doing they see the vision and they see your podcast and even you know the company attached to it as a resource that others should be interested in so that's really good yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, I've also made some good friends from the podcast. You know, if I had never reached out to them, then, you know, we may have not been friends today. So definitely that connection there of meeting new people and making new friends. Nice. What has podcasting really taught you? It's taught me that I have more to say about design than I thought I did. Mm. So Originally, you know, when I first started out as a graphic designer, I had a lot of imposter syndrome and even getting into like UI UX design. Like I kept feeling like I don't know anything. I don't know anything because when put on the spot, you know, to give feedback on something, I wouldn't have anything to say. But then later on, I would have something to say. So I would guilt myself for that of like, why couldn't you think of that, you know, during that moment? So I felt like podcasting taught me that like I do have a lot to say about design. It's just sometimes it may take me a little bit longer to get all my thoughts together so I can give the best possible response and being okay with that. Yeah. It's interesting how, you know, doing this and you'll see as you continue doing it, like it just it ends up enhancing other parts of the work that you do. Like for me, it really kind of eliminated my fear of like cold calling people or reaching out mm -hmm. to people like with a cold lead. Like now I can do it. No problem. But also like it's taught me to be a better writer. It's taught me to mm. be a better thinker. Like just picking up all these people's perspectives and being able to share them has really been something that has been a good benefit. And I'm, I'm sure you'll see it as well as you continue with the show. Yeah, I definitely want to improve my writing skills. I'm seeing small improvements, but... I would like a complete transformation. <laughs> <laughs> 
do you have any kind of future plans for what you want to do with uh, UI narrative? Yes. So the big goal and UI narrative is going through a level up phase right now where we are going to have product design courses, games, mentorship, and so much more. But one of the key things that's coming up soon is a YouTube channel with UI narrative where we will be showing you like how you can master a new design or research skill with one of our tutorials or be inspired like by a design challenge. And you can just learn basically critical design and research skills for all professional levels. So I'm just hoping people can come to UI Narrative and it'd be like the one-stop shop for them to get all education they need on product design and also to feel confident that they can take what they've learned from UI Narrative and apply it at their jobs in their careers. So being able to take it and kind of pay it forward in a way. Mm -hmm. Nice. Now, I see that you're a mentor for this company that's called Springboard. Can you tell me what what Springboard is and how you got involved with them? Yeah, Springboard is a online like education platform. They have a ton of courses on there. So one of the biggest reasons I came to Springboard is just all this knowledge about product design, UI design, wanting to mentor people on a more personal level and just just helping them get that perspective of what it's like, what real world experience once you complete a course like this. So I really enjoy being a mentor there. I have about like 10 students now. I'm not taking any more, just the unknown right now. I'm at max <laughs> for myself. But yeah, I really just enjoy talking with them, seeing their growth too. It really encourages me. It challenges me to be able to explain different processes and just whatever in within UI UX design, being able to break it down to bite size information bits for a beginner to understand. So I just love that challenge of having to creative thinking, basically. Yeah. What made you decide to start mentoring through a company as opposed to say, I don't know, on your own or through the podcast or something like that? I do have one-on-one mentorships through like getting started with UI UX design, but mainly I wanted to start getting that training on being a mentor with curriculum. So I don't personally have my own curriculum, so I can't, you know, refer someone to my own stuff just yet, but I really believe in, you know, Springboard's curriculum and what they have and I felt like that would be a great starting point as far as like getting that experience with if I even wanted to do like a mentorship and education in the first place. So that was like one of the biggest reasons getting into Springboard just to to kind of like put my feet in the water of like, do I really want to do this before I start my own thing, you know? Yeah. <laughs> the interesting thing about mentoring too, you know, and you'll probably discover this again through the podcast is that as people are listening, because, you know, audio is such an intimate kind of medium, people may end up seeing you as a role model just through the show. You know, I get what you're saying about starting with a company and the benefits that come with that. But you would be surprised, especially when, you know, you really start taking off with listeners and start having more episodes like people really kind of they take to you because they hear your voice in their ears and you're talking to all these people. So it's interesting how that comes up through the podcast. And it's totally, at least for me, it's unintentional. Like I'm, 
I'm not saying I'm not trying to mentor anyone, but I certainly will have people that will say, you're like my mentor in my head. And I'm like, wow. Okay. (laughs) I didn't know that. Yeah, it's such a huge role to fill, but I'm getting to the point where I'm ready to take on that role and help as many people as possible. Nice. Now, did you have mentors that helped you out along the way in your career? Yeah, I did. Jeremy Gaston was one of them. He was the one, you know, that showed me the ropes of like how to get started in UI, UX design. Also to my boss at PDI, Brandon Smith, he was there for me. Like as I was going through the general assembly course, I was able to just show him stuff I was working on, get some feedback from him. Those were like the key two mentors, like when I was first getting started. And now it's like, I have so many that I don't even know where to start. (laughs) Now people might not look at Dallas, or really, honestly, the South, honestly, as a kind of really design forward place. Like I just spoke with someone recently who is from Mississippi, lived in Alabama, now he's here in Atlanta. I've been here in the Deep South all my life. And, you know, the South just kind of doesn't get that reputation of a very forward place. But a lot of creativity sort of comes out of the South, especially if you think about music, etc. What do you think about people that kind of discount the South? as not being sort of a design forward place. We're trying our best over here. We don't have all (laughs) the Silicon Valley companies in our area. We're working with what we got. So we might be kind of behind when it comes to a certain design styles or tech, but we're getting there. I feel like the talent is definitely here. It's just a matter of us being exposed to those types of products. So we get that creative challenge I feel like that's the biggest thing. The talent is definitely here. Yeah. And I mean, people will look at, you know, larger cities like Atlanta or Dallas or Miami or something like that. I just remember 10 years ago, I was working for this uh, this publication called Tech Draw, which was supposed to be about like the startup scene in the South because other big media like, you know, tech and design, tech crunch. I think there was one AIGA had one called... uh design envy or something like that. But there were these publications that just never looked at the South as a place where design was at, you know, despite the fact that we've got big schools down here like SCAD, et cetera. You've got HBCUs Mm -hmm. that have design programs and it's just never looked at that way. I feel like the conversation is turning now because of, you know, just diversity and inclusion. So people are looking at HBCUs and they're looking at the South, but it certainly didn't feel that way. I don't know when the shift actually happened, but I know gradually It sort of happened year after year. Yeah, it's definitely starting to happen more um, now, especially like as people from California are starting to move down here. Uh, Hello. (laughs) They're like, uh, hello, are are these companies not coming over here as well? You know, I think it's just to like needing those advocates to speak more about like Texas and how we're worth getting some of that, you know, meat from the cool tech products in other states. Yeah. I think certainly as people are moving here because of the low cost of living and such, they absolutely are trying to sort of change that perception. I'm seeing that a lot now. Yeah. For you, what's the Dallas design community like? Yeah. So it's funny, like when I first got started, like in graphic design, I was active in like AIGA, 
But for the most part, I have always kept to myself just thinking like I'm solo out here. Like there just really isn't any black designers because I didn't see them in college. Like, so I just thought like, you know, there just really aren't any, but it wasn't until actually like within the past year ish that I started to look into groups around here. There's like um, a UX, I forgot the name, it was like Blacks in UX or something like that in Dallas. There's UX Her, which is by Nandy, who is based in Dallas as well. But there's a lot of groups that I just was not aware of. And that's just part of my own fault of not doing the digging of where are, you know, Black designers over here. But the design scene, I think, is it's alive and people are they're socializing, connecting and stuff, but it's kind of like one of those things, like you have to search for it to find it. I don't really find it as loud as I see in other states. Yeah, I can sort of see that. I mean, Atlanta certainly has its design community. I feel like we probably have just a stronger general overall arts community, but then we also have a SCAD campus here. We've got the Art Institute of Atlanta. We have both four-year institutions and HBCUs that have design and art programs, but I don't know, Atlanta for me, and I mean, I've been here now for Jesus over 20 years now. It still has never really felt like a really design forward city. It feels like it's a good place if you're just starting out in your career because there are so many kind of, I guess, I don't want to call them feeder networks, but they're kind of these feeder networks into the pipelines of larger companies. So like I worked at AT AT&T for a while. They would always pull from alumni that went to Art Institute of Atlanta. So like you had these sort of pipelines where if you went to school here, you then ended up at this company or at this other company and everyone just kind of knew each other. I don't know if it's really that way now if you're like a seasoned professional. You kind of have to just like get in where you fit in sort of. And I think that's different from say maybe more mature design cities like a New York or mm-hmm. a San Francisco or a Los Angeles or something like that. Yeah, definitely. So what is it that kind of keeps you motivated and inspired these days? I mean, this is a a very uncertain time just in the world. I mean, it's kind of hard to tell what's going to happen from week to week. What kind of keeps you going? I love seeing stories of people that have like just finished getting education in product design and landing their first job. That motivates me to keep speaking out about how this is a career for other people. And for as far as like when I'm creatively stuck with projects, something that keeps me motivated is looking at other people's work. I love looking at websites like land-book.com, mobin.com, our mobin design. Just seeing what other people are putting out there inspires me to, and challenges me to put something as equally good as what they put out. Do you have any kind of particular people in the industry that you really look up to? Ooh, which one? Uh, Regine Gilbert. She's amazing. Nandy uh, Manning, Lenora Porter, all of these women are UX designers and some are UI designers. One of them is a developer. But one of the main reasons that they inspire me is because they, they always strive to educate people on like the best practices of like what to do 
within their industry. And they're also too like a part of that, like a wave of showing people that and they're all black women. They're all showing people that, Hey, like you can get into this too, by watching me and seeing how I'm doing it. Like, it's just so inspiring seeing like the work they're putting out and the, their communities that they're building amongst like their own little networks. When you look back kind of at your, at your career and what you've accomplished so far, is this kind of where you wanted to be at this stage in your life? Oh, that is a interesting question because I like, I definitely wanted to be a freelancer at some point, but I did not expect to be building my own company because I always thought like, oh, building a company, that's hard work, you know, because I don't have to manage people and all this stuff. But now I'm seeing like, this is the only way to get the, get the type of like company that I'm looking for, for when it comes to people coming to me asking like, where should I get started? Mm -hmm. It's like, I feel like I got to build what I want to tell them to where they should get started. Cause like, I can refer them to so many other places, but then it's like not being able to like mentor them as they're going to that experience is the missing key there. So definitely I didn't see myself being in this position of wanting to mentor people and getting into education of teaching people how to do, you know, product design. So yeah, definitely the, not exactly what I expected. <laughs> it's amazing how things are going to take a turn like that. You know, you, you're going along at a clip of like I had my studio a few years ago and I thought like that's what I would be doing just forever. But then I don't know. It got around to I was close to year 10 of doing it and I just wanted something different. Like my parents were getting older. I was getting older, you know, and as much as I loved doing what I was doing, I kind of just wanted something different. And so I ended up kind of changing the way I did my studio. I still kept it in name, but I just didn't take like outward client work, at least not outward like design work. And then I kind of worked the job for a few years. And now I'm sort of back in the spot where I'm trying to decide like, well, what's the next thing I want to try to like go into? So I know what you mean about kind of seeing how things sort of shift and change. You know, you kind of think you're going to go one way and then things just sort of happen. So mm -hmm. now there's a common question I've been asking everyone on the show this whole year, actually, and it's been around kind of the theme of black futures. And I'm curious, like, how are you using your skills to help create a more equitable future? Yes. Yeah, so I'm specifically like focusing on black women right now. And, and that's mainly with the podcast specifically looking for women that are doing well in product design and showing their stories to inspire other Black women to get into this. I'm really hoping that through people just like listening to their experiences, they can learn more about um, whatever struggle or imposter syndrome that they have, like they can overcome it. And that also too, there's a huge community, like just waiting for you to get in. Like UX Her is one of a growing community that just launched a couple weeks ago. But yeah, I want to see more people that look like me in this and also too, just people in color in general. Where do you see yourself in the next five years? 
Oh, so in five years, definitely I see UI narrative being up and running, having lots of students, mentorships, and also too, maybe starting another podcast is it's one of the things in the the thought process down the line. But the key thing is having that platform, education platform, where anyone that's interested in product design can come to UI Narrative, get that education, maybe play a game or two to also teach them more about product design and feel confident about what they've learned and how they're going to apply it to their career. Nice. Well, just to wrap things up here, Tolu, where can our audience find out more about you and about your work online? Yeah, so I have a website called uinarrative.com. On that website, you can see all things about the podcast, blog posts. You can also join the email club that we have and on Instagram at uinarrative and Twitter at uinarrativeco. And my YouTube channel, which is launching real soon in August, you can find me at UI Narrative there. And yeah, please, my email as well, hello at uinarrative.com. Please email me. I respond to all emails, all DMs, all comments. So let me know if you're someone who is interested in getting into product design. I would love to give you some pointers. So yeah, maybe I'll be talking to you soon. All right. Sounds good. Well, Tolu Ajayi, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and really just for sharing your enthusiasm for education. I think that's the main through line that I got from talking with you. Of course, you have this passion for the work that you're doing, but like the passion that you have to mentor other people, to teach other people, to really just help other people out, particularly Black women, to get more into the design industry, I think is something that certainly is needed right now. You know, we're at this time in this pandemic where a lot of people are out of work. I think a lot of people in general are just reconsidering what's the next step because we're at this time where we don't really know what's going to happen next. Mm -hmm. And maybe, you know, making a career pivot is a good idea. And if UI is or UI UX or product design is something that's lucrative and you can help them out with that, then that's a blessing. So thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your story and everything. I appreciate it. Yes, I'm super glad to be here. Thank you so much as well. And one more quick thing, like I do have consultation sessions set up for those who are looking to get started today. It's at uinarrative.com slash work with me. Feel free to sign up for a session there. And I would love to help you get started in UI UX design. Big, big thanks to Tolu Ajayi, and of course, thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Tolu and her work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. And of course, thanks to our sponsor for this episode, Facebook Design. To learn more about how the Facebook Design community is designing for human needs at unprecedented scale, please visit facebook.design. Revision Path is brought to you by Lunch, a multidisciplinary creative studio in Atlanta, Georgia. Are you looking for some creative consulting for your next project? Then let's do lunch. Visit us at yepitslunch.com. I'll put a link in the show notes. This podcast is created, hosted, and produced by me, Maurice Cherry, with engineering and editing by RJ Basilio. Our intro voiceover is by Music Man Dre, with intro and outro music by Yellow Speaker. 
So what did you think of this episode? Hit us up on Twitter or Instagram, or even better, by leaving us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. I'll even read your review right here on the show. As always, thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.